Hello, and welcome to Science and Sage, a podcast on Indigenous perspectives in medicine. Today, I am joined by Tanis and Kira, uh, two fellow Indigenous students in my cohort, and we're going to have a conversation about our path to medicine, our experiences in medicine, and uh, so much more. So I guess I'll start by... Um, reintroducing myself. I did a little bit in my last or my first episode, I guess, but um, I'll just say So my name is Hannah. I'm from the Pakaist community, which is also part of the um, Inlikutmik and Sequetmik uh, nations. I was born and raised in Ashcroft, which is kind of on the border of these two nations. Um, and my parents are Colleen and Victor, and my grandparents are Percy and Mariah and um, Jim and Joan. So that's um, me. I am joining this podcast today or this episode from my traditional ancestral and unceded territories of the Inlikumic and Sequetmic people. So maybe um, Tanis, if you could introduce yourself before we get started. Yeah, so thank you for having me on this podcast podcast. I'm originally from the Klemakon First Nation in Ontario, and I moved around a lot as a kid, so I never really got the chance to live in the Klemakon. Um, I mostly grew up in Saskatchewan, and then I moved to Alberta for high school, and I was also kind of like in between Vancouver and Alberta, and then I officially stayed in Vancouver for my undergraduate studies. And that's where I started studying um, biology because I kind of knew right away that I wanted to go into medicine. Um, but my journey ultimately led me to going into graduate studies. And I got my Master of Public Health at UBC. And then I started at UBC for medicine. So clearly I like UBC a lot, but I'm really happy to be here because I was able to meet you lovely ladies as well as our other classmates. Thank you. Um, I'm so glad you're here too. I'm really excited for this. Um, Kira, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Kira, as Hannah already told you. I um, grew up kind of similarly to tennis, bouncing back and forth. My dad's from the Red River in Manitoba. He's Red River Métis. And my mom's from Ireland. So between the two of them, they always kind of wanted to be back at home. So if we bounce back and forth between the UK and um, Northern Ireland and uh, and Alberta. And then like Tannis, I moved to Vancouver for my undergrad and I really like SFU. So I went there and stayed there for 10 years as a student. Um, and I think I, so when I was I, I never knew anyone who went to medical school. I was a first-generation university graduate myself and um, just didn't really think that medicine was something that was possible for me. So even though I was interested in it when I was a kid and kind of when I was in high school, I was looking into the application process and thinking about it, but it just didn't really seem like something that was achievable or like something that was kind of yeah possible or, or doable for me so I didn't apply until a close friend of mine got admitted to medical school and at that point I thought well what's the harm in trying so I decided to try and apply and and got admitted and here we are forever a university student Thank you for those lovely introductions. Uh, I think the reason why I asked you guys to introduce yourself is that for me as an Indigenous person, um, I have my traditional way of introductions. And uh, I think I like to give other people the, in the opportunity to introduce themselves in the ways that they choose, as opposed to me not um, doing you guys justice. So thank you for that. Um, you guys talked a little bit about your path to medicine so far, but maybe we could just elaborate a little bit more about um, what is it about medicine that excites you guys? Or um, was there something in either of your lives that really uh, drew you to medicine? Yeah, I could start off with this question. Um, I always find it interesting. People always ask, like, why medicine? And I always am like, I need to come up with a better answer, because there, there's lots of reasons. And I don't have like this one, like, oh, I was just born with this desire to be a surgeon. The reality is, is 
growing up in Saskatchewan, I was like the only minority in my school. And my mom and I were definitely treated differently. And I could tell from a very early age that it wasn't that great. Like that feeling of, you know, that like pit in your stomach and it, you feel uncomfortable. And, and that's kind of how we were made to feel um, at school and especially within the healthcare system. And my mom told me, you know, like, there's not that many Indigenous doctors. You should be a doctor. And I was like, okay. So, so it just kind of, it just was like, okay, well, I'm going to be a doctor. And I think just being raised in a way where I was so like lifted up by my family, it kind of was just like, okay, they think I should be a doctor. So I'm going to be a doctor. And I'm obviously so fortunate. And it wasn't that easy to become a doctor. There was a, I'm not even a doctor yet, but <laughs> to get into medical school was definitely a journey. But for me, it was that conversation with my mom when I was a little girl. And that's really kind of what started it. Um, and then obviously it took a lot of, I guess, resilience to continue pursuing that goal because everybody knows that it's not easy getting into medical school, regardless of what stream you apply through. It's not easy. And I think just having the support of my family and then meeting you two at our um, admissions workshop, I was so excited, right? So I knew that if I didn't get in, I would just apply again. And I just think that whole sense of community and having that support really makes all the difference. And I feel like if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have been able to continue uh, working towards that goal. I love that you said that because I really felt the same way after we all met at the at the workshop of even just giving myself the sense of peace and calm of like, okay, if this isn't my year, if I don't get in this year, like look at the incredible people who are applying, like I'll get a turn and the people who get in absolutely deserve it. And um, yeah, I, I really felt the same way of just like the, the community support that we create with each other has just been instrumental to me in, in my experience. Um, Kira, what changed for you in your perspective for yourself about achievable and um, maybe a little bit out of reach? That's a really good question. So I think um, I was always really interested in science. I wanted to study science and um I did biology at my undergrad level. And at that point I was like leaving high school and trying to go and explore and, and study the types of things that I had liked in high school, but I didn't like, I was just so naive. I was not aware that biology at university is not the same as biology in high school. And I talked to advisors and someone should have told me at some point that like maybe molecular biology or like maybe like health science or maybe one of these things would be more kind of related to your interests, but I did, I just didn't really know kind of what was out there. Um, and when I was studying biology, being kind of really embedded in that, like, I guess, pure science, I and mean, even people would say um, that biology is maybe not the purest of the sciences, but um, being embedded in that pure science, I really felt like I missed the humanism like I really wanted to engage with people and that's why I ended up working in student services because I just wanted to work with students and I was interested in the science and I liked working in a lab but I really just wanted to see people and like I wanted to learn but I also wanted to interact with people um so that was kind of working on me in the background and I was doing these different jobs where I was like not really doing science and not really like learning the type of science that I was interested in. But then if I was doing the science job, I really missed working with people. So I was feeling unsatisfied like with what I was doing and knew that there was something else that could hopefully check both of those boxes for me. Um, and then just kind of as I progressed through my, through my educational career, it's like you said about creating support for for other Indigenous students, but then also like support from supervisors and non-Indigenous support. There were a lot of people who helped me realize along the way that like maybe maybe I could do more than I kind of had imagined for myself. So I, I think it was it was always something that I wanted and it was always something that I was sort of cut out for I feel like like it was like something that was really well suited to me but um it took a lot of 
support from community and support from people who knew what they were doing and knew what they were talking about to get me to the point where I was able to to go for it myself. Mm-hmm. And also meeting the other Indigenous students at the interview prep session, I, I really agree. I felt such a sense of community and I felt like even if I don't get in, at least I've completely been myself and been very open about who I am and where I'm coming from and like these people know me and so maybe that doesn't necessarily mean anything like about who I am but maybe it just is a difference of fit between me and the program Mm -hmm. so it gave me a lot of confidence to see that too and confidence for even if I didn't get in it was just a great way to be supported by other students I love us (laughs) It's so great. I just love the community that we have developed and that we really um, make a commitment to foster within each other. I really, truly do not think that I would have had such a great first year in medicine if it weren't for you guys and the support that you and, you know, and the other Indigenous students and the other like non-Indigenous friends that I made um, throughout throughout the first year. So just warm and fuzzies. Um, one of the things for me, so I've kind of always known that I wanted to be a doctor. I remember when I think I was six years old, one of my friends was, um, visiting Ashcroft and we were out playing in like out up the hill and, uh, there's cactus everywhere in Ashcroft. Um, my friend, she fell in a patch of cactus and I remember like piggybacking her home and uh, like picking out all of the pieces of cactus that were like stuck in, I think it was in her hand or something like that. And that's so not what medicine is, but I remember being like six years old and at that time thinking like, Oh yeah, I'm, I want to be a doctor and nothing has really changed for me since then. As I learn more about what medicine is and I learn more about the ways that, um, that doctors and healthcare professionals serve our communities, it only just becomes deeper for me of that, um, that passion I guess to just like give back and then also like blood and guts are cool like that that the whole science aspect of it like you said Kira is really um really appealing to me I think medicine fits for me really well because I'm indigenous because of the ways that I see the big picture and um like you said, again, Kira, of bringing the humanity into science. It's for me, I think that connection between humanity and science comes from my indigeneity. Um, so what's that like for you guys? Yeah, I I completely agree with that. Like, I feel like there's so much about Indigenous worldviews that's focused on holism and thinking holistically. And it's something that we really, I think, miss in Western science. And um this is what my PhD thesis was about, about Indigenous students' experiences in post-secondary science education. And kind of across the board, the way that Indigenous students related to their post-secondary experiences was basically them saying, like, I miss the context, the historical and social context of learning science. And I, I feel like that's a product of kind of Indigenous thinking and Indigenous worldviews. And I think you're absolutely right that it fits really well with medicine because you can't separate a person from their context. And so being able to see all of those external factors that you wouldn't read in a textbook, I think really contributes to clinical reasoning. But I'm not a doctor yet, so we'll see. (laughs) You sold me. Yeah, it's a really interesting like question because for me, I feel like being indigenous and and medicine are a perfect match and it really comes down to the values that I was raised with. Like my mom, she she also got her PhD like Kira and in doing so, my mom was also a very traditional woman in a sense and so I grew up learning about ceremony and learning about my culture and I realized that that's not you know, available to all Indigenous people. And I do feel very fortunate to have that. But I think that it really instilled in me this genuine empathy and just this kindness. Like, 
the first I'll never forget the first patient interview that I had in family practice and I was like wow like I love this I feel like I'm right at home I really love talking to patients I love getting to know patients and it honestly is so heartbreaking when you hear about these stories where patients experience such blatant racism by the healthcare system because to me I can't fathom treating somebody like that you know if there's an uncle victor in the er I would get so excited I'm like uncle victor is here right like so I feel like that part and and having those you know values and those traditions I think will really complement me in my in my future medical practice yeah, I agree, Tanis. And I think, like, as you say, growing up with your culture seems like such a strong way of embedding those values. Um, and I was just thinking as you were talking about the empathy that comes from those values. And I think for me, I mean, I, I've always been an empathetic person, I think, but it took a long time for me to be able to channel that. And a really big part of that, I think, was working in the downtown east side and also working in the Indigenous Student Centre at SFU and getting to really know Indigenous communities and becoming really like a lot more embedded in my culture than I was before. And starting to see the resilience of Indigenous people, I think, is almost guaranteed to produce some of that empathy. And it's really interesting because it it makes a lot of people angry and it made me angry when I started to learn about kind of all of my for example my removal from my culture and that was something that kind of fueled me to learn more but then I think another product of it is just the empathy that comes from learning about your culture and also learning about Indigenous histories it's really important and hopefully will make us better doctors one day I agree. I I think I just get such an intense sense of pride, um, like talking to you guys and being a part of our cohort, because what you said, Kira, about resiliency, like it takes so much for any student to get here. And then like you don't want to compare people's paths. Everybody has their own struggles or their own journeys, but like it takes a lot. It takes a lot more for us to to just even get in the door um, for a, for a lot of things, and I think that that's becoming more honored in society. The the inequities that our communities face, um, but we're like not there yet. So just really like honoring the the journey that we have, I think, is really important. So since um, being in medicine now, what is, what's your guys' experience been like? What's it been like for you, um, I guess, starting out in first year into now? What you said, Hannah, about like having a sense of pride when talking to one another, it's such a key piece for me because I'll never forget the um, like admissions workshop where we all met and being able to sit in a circle and introduce myself and say like, my name is and I'm from Aquemacong and to be so comfortable saying that because that is such a contrast to how I've always felt since elementary school right when you grow up and you experience racism that like does not leave you and so I always just was so othered in elementary school and then in high school I went I went to high school in Alberta so yeah, there were there was a lot of trauma from that. But in this medical program, I feel like it's only recently that I felt like I am comfortable and I feel safe enough to actually tell people that I'm Indigenous because I'm just so scared that people are going to say something racist because I've experienced that so many times throughout my life. And we're so fortunate because we have each other and we have the other Indigenous medical students, and we have a little community that James has created for us. And I'm very, very grateful for that, because I know that other medical schools don't have that. But still, you know, when you're sitting in CBL with seven other non-Indigenous people and the case, 
for the millionth time is an indigenous patient and you have to talk about it and you have to listen to other people potentially say things that are racist. It's just, it gives so much anxiety. And I feel like with you guys, I can talk about being indigenous. I'm so comfortable. I'm so proud. But in the larger cohort, I'm scared of telling people that I'm indigenous. And it, it's maybe my own issues, but I think a lot of other Indigenous medical students and really anyone else from an ethnic minority might understand how that feels. Yeah, I think um, it's a it's a really interesting point, Tannis, because I feel like being someone who passes as white and like having had tenuous ties to my own cultural heritage in the past and yeah, identifying kind of out of a out of a sense of moral obligation because of the fact that that was the goal of Canada's cultural genocide. I, I feel like there's a there's a real fine line for me to walk between choosing not to identify and choosing to identify and that there's a lot of privilege that comes from being able to make that choice and I feel like it kind of as I said it's a fine line to walk because on one side of on one side of it you have the choice to identify and all of the racism and negative attitudes that come from that but then on the other side you kind of I, I feel like every time that there is another CBL case where the patient is an Indigenous patient and I don't say I'm Indigenous too it's almost like a it's almost like you lose a little bit of that connectedness and it's almost like you are kind of like being ashamed of something that's a really core part of you um, and that possibly could really contribute to other people's learning as well. So it's a, it's a difficult choice, but I agree with you that sometimes when you make the choice to identify, it just becomes so overwhelmingly negative that you don't want to do it again in certain contexts. So it's a really challenging thing to do. Um, and then also thinking about like trying to fit that identity and you know also being a mature student and being you know a first generation university student and all of those different identities into like the the classic conception of what it means to be a doctor i think has been something that's really challenged my thinking as well because um there's a lot of things that i that i see and i think like that's not me that doesn't like that doesn't really seem like something that fits with me like being a surgeon for example it's like just doesn't make sense to me it doesn't fit with with any of my identities um but trying to integrate those and trying to figure out like what would it be like to try to do that to try to become that it's a really challenging process and it really helps to have other students who are going through the same thing to talk about it with um it's it's interesting students who my flex project is about identity formation and um in the states students who have closer ties to their african heritage if they're african americans um are less likely to do well in medical school because it's such a dissonance between what they've experienced and what they're now expected to become um, so it's really challenging to think like, do I identify? Do I not identify? What does that mean for who I am as a doctor? What does it mean for the medical profession as a whole and how I'm contributing or not contributing to that? It's a really, it's a, it's a minefield. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. I like the way that you said minefield because that's how it feels sometimes. Tanis, I can so relate to the feeling of like, it's, I don't even know how to describe it other than just fear or panic response when I see Indigenous content come up. I felt this way throughout, you know, my entire undergrad and then now still in medicine that my body goes into fight or flight immediately. Whether I want it to or not, I see the like the question come up and I'm like, okay, I'm on alert and I'm ready and waiting for something or somebody to say something that's going to hurt me or um, directly conflict with what I know about our communities. And like every time, you know, I see or hear those things, it's personal to me because that's my family. Like that's, that's my people. And so 
I still to this day go through that decision-making process of like, is this a fight that I'm going to have right now? Am I going to speak up? Am I going to say something? And it's picking my heart between, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say something and I'm definitely going to hold back what my true feelings are in order to calmly educate the people around me. And that even when I do speak up, it's still invalidating myself and still invalidating my identity because I have to moderate myself to be palatable to the non-Indigenous people in the room, even though they have sometimes committed colonial violence against me or said things that are just so unbelievably hurtful. And I'm still the one that has to control my response. I was talking to my mom about this um, before, like getting ready to record this actually, because I think this podcast, the last episode and even now is really the first time that I've ever gone unfiltered in like the medical space or medical community. And even then, you know, I'm always going to hold back a little bit. So that the navigating of, of when to claim your space and how you claim that space, it's really, really hard. Yeah, I agree. And this is something that I'm just learning how to do. And when I was in grad school, so I, I did my master of public health, it was two years. And I did that right before starting medical school. And at that time, these conversations about ethnicity and social determinants of health and and Indigenous health, they were not as commonplace as they are within the past year. But I just remember sitting in these lectures when I was in grad school, and I'm not even exaggerating. Some of my classmates did a presentation. We, We got to choose our own topics. So I was like, I picked, I don't know, something like related to global health. And they opted to choose Indigenous health. I was like, well, this is going to be interesting. And like, they presented things in a way that honestly, it's just that feeling in your stomach where you kind of just want to cry. And everybody knew that I was the only Indigenous person in the program. And these students went up to the front and they, you know, they literally said, Indigenous people live in poverty. And they have they deal with substance use and alcoholism and they're x times more likely to die by suicide and all of these like negative negative things and you know I guess yeah the statistics are potentially true but there's context and I felt this so much in grad school and I talked to my mom about this and I was like I feel like it's always like a negative and a negative and a negative but they never explain why And it was so interesting because my mom, she said, she's like, yeah, this is something that I've always had to deal with and people don't contextualize things properly. And when we had that lecture by Dr. Black on suicide and the way that he presented the overrepresentation of suicide among indigenous people in Canada, I was like, oh my gosh, that was so beautiful. Cause it was finally to have an instructor present these health statistics in a way that is not so negative and not you know it doesn't make you feel icky and it doesn't make you feel sad if you're sitting there and you're the only indigenous student in the class and then every you feel like everyone's looking at you like oh she must live in poverty you know like that feeling and, and it's hard for people to understand but I think indigenous people understand when you sit through these lectures and you sit through these CBL cases and especially with CBL I felt like more than half of those cases had Indigenous patients. And I was really looking forward to the patient that, you know, an Indigenous doctor or something. Like, you know what I mean? And it's just, if you don't choose to identify, and in some ways, I also do have that privilege of not necessarily having to identify because people don't always recognize me as being Indigenous. So they think I'm like anything else. It's And I get asked a lot. So. I've heard some crazy things, but yeah, there were some CDL groups where I didn't self-identify. I didn't say anything and I didn't really contribute. And one time I did, and someone was like, how do you know so much about that? (laughs) And I was like, because I'm indigenous, like that's why. And it's this, this additional emotional burden that I feel like we go through, whether you choose to identify or whether you choose not to, regardless, it's 
still weighs you down and it's still an added stressor and that fight or flight response is so true and I think I went through that so much in grad school so I got used to it so I wasn't as shell-shocked when we had these lecturers who maybe presented things in a way that didn't properly contextualize the history and the reason why there's an overrepresentation of poorer health outcomes among Indigenous people. And I don't expect everybody to have that knowledge, but just be mindful when you're presenting and, you know, we're here. <laughs> we exist in medicine. And yeah, it's, it's just this whole identity piece. It's something that I am starting to kind of think about for clerkship because I'm like, I don't know, like, do I identify? Like, I don't know. It's stressful, especially after that report came out recently. There's something that you said there, Tannis, that I really wanted to pick up on, which was about um, there's a lot of lecturers who lecture us about Indigenous health. And those lectures are always about they're, they're so othering. They're always about Indigenous people as though they're like, you know, living in a third world country that's thousands of kilometers away from us. And sometimes I just want to say, like, by the way, there's Indigenous students in this class to some of the presenters. It's such a weird feeling. Um, and I feel like the whole like decision to identify can also sometimes have the effect of turning Indigenous students into like token Indigenous people who represent just kind of like a pan-Canadian Indigenous experience. And it's so unfair to those people because there are so many different experiences of being Indigenous. Um, but then I also think there is like, there can be like a, a lateral violence kind of element to that, which is not something that I've experienced in med and I'm so grateful for that. But um, in grad school, like the, it was definitely something that I experienced because there were only two Indigenous students in my program. And um, there's, there's like a stacking almost of like ranking people's indigeneity and you know one person can be indigenous but the other person maybe is more indigenous or like more qualified to speak on the indigenous experience um and to represent what it means to be an indigenous person in Canada when like there really is no one representative of the indigenous experience in Canada um so yeah I, I just think it's so interesting the way that we're expected to navigate all of these different social structures without any guidance. And I think it's amazing the community that James has cre created because going back to the Indigenous students in med, like I have never experienced, I've never felt a feeling of like, you know, being questioned or called out or anything like that from the students that are in the program. So it really helps to be able to experience those types of things where you're in a lecture and thinking like wow who are these indigenous people that they're talking about like where do they live um and then go be able to go back to the indigenous students in the class and say like what did you get that sense too and to be able to talk that out with other students is really really helpful yeah i will just keep saying it and <laughs> forever that i'm just so grateful for you guys because i think for me in the first probably the first semester of med, I had a really, really hard time um, coming to terms with reality, I guess, of what my ideal med experience was going to be like, and then what the actual thing was like. And, you know, obviously this, I just want to say that this is a reflection on the, the systems of medicine and the culture of medicine and the culture of these institutions that exist in Canada um, that have been shaped by colonialism and not necessarily, you know, just UBC or something like that. But, you know, I think I went into medicine with this like idealistic idea of, oh my gosh, these, this is just so wonderful. And people are so committed to like helping everybody. And it's, it, and it's going to be so diverse and intersectional. And, you know, that's what that's what like I kind of came from the perspective of in health sciences at SFU and I really thought like oh my gosh everybody's gonna know who like all of these like intersectional feminists are that I learned about in my undergrad and like be super up to date on social justice because that's what medicine is to me medicine 
to me is so rooted in injustice because like you said Tannis like all of the to me all of the negative health outcomes that you see in indigenous populations are directly tied to colonialism and to the social determinants of health so then when I got here and when I you know started kind of sitting in these lectures where I'm like oh my gosh, did they just say that? Or like, ooh, that didn't, that didn't feel so good. <laughs> you know, I really kind of went through this like process of remembering, oh, right. Like, yes, this is still a colonial institution of Western science and academia that has not yet embraced the gifts that we have to give um, as Indigenous people. That's something my mom has really um, been incredible at with like navigating my identity as uh, an Indigenous person in academia. My mom and my auntie and you, my family really, but just really seeing the the benefit that we we bring to the table. And it's a kind of grief almost when you realize that it's not appreciated by the institution that I would like to commit my life to. Grief is a good word for that. I wanted to take this opportunity before we moved on to a different topic to read you this poem by Dr. Cash Ahenikyu. Dr. Henneke is an associate professor with the Department of Education at UBC, and he's a member of the Atakagope Cree Nation. This poem was first published in the article Grafting Indigenous Ways of Knowing onto Non-Indigenous Ways of Being, The Underestimated Challenges of a Decolonial Imagination. Academic Indian Job Description. Have to know. Have to know Western knowledge and education, plus the critique of Western knowledge and education. Have to know Indigenous culture and education, plus the critique and the critique of the critique of Indigenous culture and education. Have to know how to embody expected authenticity and how to embody expected critique of expected authenticity. Have to know when and where to use Indigenous literature and style, and when and where to use the Western canon and style to build legitimacy and credibility for Indigenous thought and experience. Have to know when to vilify, to romanticize, to essentialize, when to apologize, to complexify, to compromise, when and who to be accountable to and why. Have to know how to reject modernity, how to be a modern Indian, how to ignore contradictions, how to deny incommensurabilities. Have to know when and how to perform at the same time competence, confidence, boldness, heroic rebelliousness, and humility, compliance, and gratitude for the opportunity. Have to know how to respond to or hide from allies seeking self-affirmation and redemption through helping you and your community. Have to know how to be an intellectual, an activist, a therapist, and an entrepreneur. How to improve retention, attrition, and social mobility. How to stop exploitation and ecological disaster. Have to know how to educate your people, liberal allies, immigrants, rednecks, colleagues, how to relate to gang members, business sponsors, elders, politicians, how to speak with the crows, the trees, the sea, and the media. Have to know languages lost and found of family, communities, earth, spirit, languages imposed of nation, property, individualism, competition, and institutional academic language of secular liberal humanism. Have to know how to indigenize and decolonize disciplines, protocols, ethics, and methodologies to make critical research feel good for non-indigenous people. Have to know how to package all of this in a foreign English language to convince top-ranked journals and performance analysts that you too, against all odds, have market value. Have to know how to live with the guilt of having credentials, a secure job, and the awareness of compliance with a rigged system built on the broken back and wounded soul of your family members. Apply online now. Maybe we could shift to, um, I, I also had to deal with quite a bit of imposter syndrome and I still do. Um, I think maybe this is just something that like, everybody experiences in med I you know I know a lot of my non-indigenous friends also have that sense of like 
oh my gosh, what am I doing here? How did I even get here? But I think sometimes that's amplified for um, Indigenous students. And I really, um, I felt very, very conscious of the fact that people perceive my Indigeneity as uh, an easy path in. And um, sometimes it can be really hard not to internalize that. Uh, What's that been like for you? Yeah, I completely agree. And that ties back to the reason for me being kind of uncomfortable self-identifying. And it doesn't help that like every second person asks me, like, where are you from? And I'm like, Ontario. And they're like, no, where are you like really from? And I'm like, the bush. Like, what do you want me to say? Like, it's just, it's so, it, it makes me uncomfortable. And the reason is, is because in medicine, there is obviously an indigenous stream. And it's really hard to not feel like there are going to be some people out there who feel like we got in easier. And it definitely like it wears you down. And to me, I felt like I got to overcompensate. And I need to prove to everybody that like, I belong here. And so that was the hardest part for me in my first year, because I'm already, I guess you could say like a type A type person. And i put this immense amount of pressure on myself to study and to make you know hundreds of Anki cards for every single lecture which I actually did Hannah can (laughs) confirm that and to memorize it and to know it and and in the end it just made me feel crazy because part of the reason why I was doing that was you know just in case there's a classmate who feels like I'm not smart enough to be here. And it that pressure that I put on myself really wore me down towards the end of the year. And I just feel like now I'm a lot more comfortable in medicine. Maybe it's because everything is virtual. <laughs> um, but I just feel like now I'm like, you know what? I'm where I'm supposed to be. I worked really hard to get here. And I feel like I can finally be proud that, yeah, I'm in medical school. And yes, I'm Indigenous. And I don't care what anybody has to say. Like, I worked really hard and I feel like I'm going to be a wonderful doctor in however many years, right? So it's definitely been a learning journey for me. And I feel like I've gone through a lot of like personal growth throughout my time in medicine because it's only been just under two years. But if I look back to how I was in the first term, I was very uncomfortable and it might not seem like that because I made a lot of friends and I just kind of, I've always had like a few very close friends and I'm just very happy like that. So meeting you guys and having my other friends, I just felt like very at peace um, in spite of some of the blatant racism uh, that we experienced. Um, I feel like I've kind of moved past that and I feel a lot better. Yeah, I I agree that the imposter syndrome thing seems to be getting better for me. But I also agree, like, at the beginning of last year, I felt like I needed to study so, so, so much to be able to, you know, get good grades and prove that I should be here and that kind of thing. Um, And I kept having this feeling of like, especially when I first got my interview before, like when I had just applied, and I was like, this is a total long shot, it's never gonna happen. And then I got the interview offer and I was like this can't be real like they must have made a mistake here there's no way that this cannot be real um so I like I definitely kept like waiting for the call where someone would tell me that letter was actually not meant for you um so that was pretty stressful but can um, I just interrupt you for one second I feel like everybody who's a listener you know I absolutely am not invalidating the experience that you had but all of the listeners who don't know that you have a PhD in Indigenous science education and and like an entire beautiful thesis on like weaving Indigenous research methodology into science I'm like to me I just think you're incredible. I, I, somebody like you can have the same feelings of, of not, you know, not knowing if you're enough. It's just shocking to me because like, we're both so amazing and it's, it's the feelings that we have in our, of ourselves, definitely not what we have of um, what I have of you guys or what other people have of us. It's just, it's just so interesting to listen. Thanks, Anna. 
You're so sweet. You're making me blush. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I did a similar thing to, to Tannis in first year where I was like really pushing myself super hard to study a ton. Um, and when my first midterm grade came back, I was like a standard deviation below the average. And I was like, oh my God, everything I thought about myself was true. Like there's, I'm an affirmative action admit, like all of these bad feelings, I felt were like totally validated by that. And um, it was like, it's so fascinating to me that because I don't care about grades, but the fact that that grade knocked me so hard on my ass, it was such an interesting thing that happened. Um, so then I was like, okay, I'm going to just keep studying. I'm going to study so hard. Like I'm going to dedicate every spare minute to studying and I'm going to do better on the final. So that's what I tried to do. And then I ended up exactly like you said tennis just driving myself crazy like really trying to study every single spare minute of every day and then got to the point where I did the exams did like fine but not great and then I saw the grades and I was like this is not worth it like this is not a good way to live so for the next term second term of first year I basically was like I totally readjusted the way that I was thinking about things and instead of thinking like I'm going to memorize every detail on every slide I started to think what would I need to know to be a good doctor and what do I need to know to be able to understand this concept well um and so thinking about that not only really enhanced my interest in the content, but it also took so much stress off of me. And then I got way better grades. So it's like really interesting that having all that negative self-talk combined with putting all of that pressure on myself really had the opposite effect of what I was looking for. And I think just loosening up a little bit and trying to do an opposite action, like act in a, a way that's opposite to my imposter syndrome really ended up helping me a lot um so that helped but then also sometimes i kind of just think like i'm going to be a doctor in a couple of years and then i just think like no that's not true <laughs> so i still feel it <laughs> i'm glad that you guys both have such like you know rational kind of thoughts about the imposter syndrome I don't know that I've had quite the same like um growth arc that you have because I still I still feel sometimes like that's my default like thought and I can recognize that it's not true and I can identify where the feeling comes from but it's hard to rewrite it one of the things that's helped me the most is um my mom read me a quote from Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, and in it, she talked about feeling a lot of the same things in law school as, um, you know, as we feel of being an affirmative action admit or, or whatever. And she's, she says in her book that the longer that she was in law school and the longer, um, or I guess the deeper relationships she made with other people, she realized that everybody has their doors in and some are just more visible than others. And it doesn't mean that any given pathway is less than. There's all kinds of different pathways into these spaces. And it's really important that we create pathways for Indigenous people because a lot of the other pathways are rooted in money and privilege. And so... I just, you know, Michelle Obama is just the voice in the back of my head whenever I'm like, oh my God, how did I get here? Like, I can't possibly, I can't possibly do this. And, um, and, and I try and just remember that this pathway exists for a reason. And that reason is because our communities have experienced unknowable um, loss. And that's, that, that kind of, that, that helps. I mean, it's depressing, but it helps. It's such a good way of thinking about it, though. Like, when I think about most of the people that I've met who are in medical school, you know, they're wonderful people. And they've, you know, shown that they're dedicated and motivated and that they really want to be excellent doctors. But they also, like, a lot of them have parents or uncles or brothers who went to medical school and who taught them exactly kind of what they needed to to know and those pathways 
really do exist. When I applied for medical school, it was, I was in grad school. It was my first time applying and I didn't have any help. And I realized later that a lot of people had older siblings that, you know, went to medical school or parents that went to medical school and they may or may not have helped the other applicants. But for me, I just like wrote the application and submitted it. Like I didn't have like an in or, you know, I didn't have any insider information and I didn't realize that there's like a fancy way that you can write about all your activities and you can like put things like you play sports and stuff like that. Like I didn't know any of this. And so I just like lived my life the way I wanted to. And I went to grad school because I was genuinely interested in research and, um, it served me well in the end, but I saw later on that there's there's a lot of help out there that's not very equitable across all people that are interested in applying to medical school. Like, I'm so lucky that my partner has already gone through medical school and is now finished um, because I saw him go through the whole thing and I saw the choices that he made as he went through. And they seemed like really logical choices at the time in terms of like where he should do his rotations or who he should talk to about reference letters or those types of things. And I saw the the struggles that he had along the way and the things that ended up being roadblocks that you would never think of as roadblocks unless you knew someone who had done it. And I think these are elements of privilege that are so invisible because there's, they're so pervasive. And there are people out there who have kind of these experiences that have set them up to be successful in a space like medical school. And I am not that person. And so, yeah, I really appreciate Michelle Obama's quote there because it makes me feel much better about that fact. Yeah. Michelle Obama. So great. (laughs) Okay. So Tannis, you were talking a little bit about your, um, your draw to research. Can you uh, tell us what that experience was like for you? Yeah. When I was an undergraduate student, I took on this extra job uh, that involved transcribing Uh, like focus groups and I was basically just transcribing someone else's research and the research pertained to um, Indigenous people and accessing cancer care and accessing um, basically like their experience in the healthcare system dealing with cancer and it was so eye-opening to me and that's really what sparked that interest in the health equity piece that is such a huge part of medicine and just listening to those interviews and typing them up really taught me a lot about research methodology and how research is done when it's done by Indigenous people for Indigenous people. And prior to that, my experience with research was Western research and, you know, epidemiological research methods and quantitative methods and using p-values and stuff like that. And I learned a lot about two-eyed seeing, which basically just recognizes um, other forms of Indigenous knowledge generation and Indigenous worldviews and seeing them as complete knowledge systems, um, which can complement non-Indigenous worldviews, right? They're not mutually exclusive. And that experience with transcribing those interviews is really what led me to pursue my master's degree. Um, I actually, for a while, was like, oh, maybe I'll just be a researcher and not be a doctor because my mom is a researcher and seems like having a PhD is like a very good life. Um, I quickly realized that I don't love research that much. Um, I'm really happy that I learned everything that I did in grad school and I was able to learn more and to write a couple papers Um, looking at how, you know, two-eyed seeing, basically, it just acknowledges that Indigenous people have a long history of sharing stories and videos and art and other modalities, which aren't always easily quantifiable. So they're not easily published in peer-reviewed journals. And it just really inspired this desire in myself to honor Indigenous ways of knowing because I feel like that's essential if we want to build meaningful relationships and, you know, people are 
talking about establishing allyship and being an ally and and all of that, which is great. But I think that you know research needs to do the same thing. Um, yeah, and so my path to medicine was definitely a little bit longer because of grad school, and um, I'm really happy that it went that way though because getting my master's degree helped me a lot on the interview for medical school I feel like if I didn't get my master's I would have like bombed those stations like I did not expect those questions because I didn't really have like insider information about the questions so I just kind of like winged it and then it was okay because I was able to draw on things that I learned about in grad school but um yeah research can be really hard especially when you're an indigenous person. Kira would you like to talk a little bit about the research that you've done? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, similar to Tanis, I think my introduction to, I actually remember the piece of writing, it was by Eber Hampton, um, and it was in Marie Batiste's book called The Circle Unfolds, um, and he was talking about revisioning Indian education. It was written in the 1990s, so it's quite a while ago, but the way that he wrote was so spiraling and it was like it, he he told a story with his writing and it was so humanized for for academic writing it was a completely different experience for me in academia and I, I was really like surprised I think by the fact that that was something that was doable and that people were doing and obviously have been doing for quite a while um and so I started to kind of think about, I had been thinking for quite a while about like the scientist identity, but then I also started to think about how my own indigenous identity impacts my scientist identity and now my doctor medical student identity. Um, but I also started to think about the way that that can come through in your research and in your writing. And um, that was really new for me. So it took me probably the entirety of my master's degree to get to the point where I was comfortable with self-disclosure in my research, where I was comfortable with being kind of acknowledging my own positionality in my writing. Um, and then my thesis after a couple of years of taking courses and seminars at the grad level, where we really were focusing on a lot of this type of interpretive work, um, took that to a whole another level. Like I, it was complete self-disclosure, like very, very personal. One of my primary methodologies was self-study. So I wrote like journal entries and reflected on things and kept circling back to my own writing. And it, I just am amazed at the fact that it took me years to unlearn the way that I had been kind of dehumanized by studying science. Um, and then I think also really strengthened by the fact that kind of having that indigenous approach and that holism was really important to me. And it really helped me to do that research in a good way that would actually be meaningful to indigenous communities. I hope that answer made sense I just think you're so brilliant I'm so I think you both are such wonderful examples of the ways that we can rewrite um the narratives of indigenous people in in science and in research not rewrite for us or for our communities but for the perception of us from I guess a western western lens because like you said Tana so often um indigenous ways of knowing are not uh like validated I guess by by western ways and Kira I have learned so much from you in how to I guess acknowledge my Indigenous identity as an intersection with my science identity and be able to exist in both spaces at the same time. And that's something that I'm still working on and something that I hope to continue to develop as um, my professional identity develops. But the one of the things about your thesis that I love so much and that really, really re resonates with me is how you talk about walking in two worlds. And I think that might be the theme of this episode is the way that we as Indigenous people have to constantly walk in two worlds that are 
really in opposition to one another. And it's the amount of effort and labor that we as individuals take in order to bring these worlds closer together. And so I think I just want to honor the the work that you guys have done and all of the Indigenous doctors and researchers before us have um, done in forging forging that path because um, it's super hard. <laughs> like acknowledging your positionality in research was something that was really new to me and really Indigenous to me. Um, but I, I feel like it's everyone has their reading frame and some people are just more honest about it. And that's sort of the approach that I took to academic work after reading Ibrahampton's work and then a, a bunch of other people like him, but um, being really forthcoming about where you're coming from, your social and historical context, I think is the only way to actually be objective about your work. Because I don't think that there's an objectivity that's just removed from humanity. I don't think that that exists. So I think the Indigenous way of acknowledging where you're coming from, who your parents are, you know, bringing all of that with you to your work and being clear about that is such an Indigenous way of doing research, but it's also a really liberating and, I think, objective way of doing research because you're clear that way. Um, and I think it kind of goes back to Michelle Obama's quote about different pathways because it's true that some pathways are more visible than others and I think taking a step towards becoming visible about those pathways in academia could be a really good way to make progress for different types of people. Um, I'm also going to cut this part out but we sound super smart right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, are you sure? I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm really, I'm really rambling. We sound super. We sound like philosophers. I know. I'm like, <laughs> you know, with the like existential life questions, I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> Just a couple of aunties so smart. bullshitting each other. <laughs> Anything that you guys think we missed that you wanna you wanted to talk about? I feel like this conversation has definitely shown me that we should do another episode because we could keep talking all night. So I think we have a lot to talk about, and I think this podcast could really be helpful for other Indigenous medical students, not just at UBC, because while we have this wonderful community of lifelong friends, and I'm so happy to have you, um, I think it's not the same for other Indigenous students across Canada. And yeah, I look forward to when we have our next podcast, because I think we obviously have a lot to talk about. Yeah, Tannis, I totally agree. And I feel like probably this goes for Hannah and Tannis as well. But I, I think if there's if there are other Indigenous students who hear this and who resonate with any aspects of my story, I would be very, very happy to talk with you and not ramble. <laughs> I cannot wait to have both of you back on. I just, I, I think that like you guys said, you know, we have so much to talk about because there is so much to unpack about this journey and there will continue to be things to unpack about this journey as, you know, we move into clerkship and then residency and then professional practice. Like it's, it's an ongoing journey. I don't want to always call it a struggle because I think that there are some really beautiful things about our experiences and, you know, maybe we could talk about those um, a little bit more in another in another episode as well, but it's an ongoing journey. And um, like you said, Kira, to any other Indigenous medical students listening, um, please get in in touch or in contact um, with myself, and I can link you to Tanis or Kira, um, or you can talk to me if that's something that you would like to do. I'm always open to it or to um, 
high school or university students who are thinking that maybe this is a career that you're interested in, but it doesn't feel like something that's um, in your world, like, please, please let us pep talk you because I know I can speak for basically all of the Indigenous people in our year that they would love to to pep talk um, future students. I think this podcast is really liberating. It's super validating. I feel like I can be all of the confusing parts of myself um, with you guys. And I, I hope that I can find graceful ways to navigate claiming this space for us, for Indigenous people, and also um, giving non-Indigenous listeners access to these conversations um, because I don't think that they uh, are accessible as widely as maybe they could be in safe ways. So um, I hope that that I've helped to create that safe space with you guys today and hope that the people listening can acknowledge the fact that this is for us, um, but it's also a little bit for them, if that makes sense. The whole walking in two worlds thing again. Gem, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate the overwhelming amount of support that I have um, had so far in starting this podcast. It's really, really appreciated. Finally, this podcast was sponsored by Wildcraft Nation. It's an indigenous owned and operated traditional medicine business. My personal favorite product is the smokeless smudge, which I think will come in really handy um, on the wards or in places where maybe a a traditional smudge or burning sage isn't accessible. Um, but Wildcraft Nation stocks devil's club tinctures, mullen eardrops, wild rose body scrubs, and so much more. So you can follow Wildcraft Nation on Facebook or visit wildcraftnation.ca for information regarding orders from this incredible, ethically, and sustainably produced traditional medicine business. Mm-hmm.